motion in the one-two toss. Breaking ball. Check swing. Did he go around? Yes, he did, says base umpire Mickey Smith. Positioned down the first base line. Back-to-back strikeouts. He winds and fires the 2-2. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Oh, what a professional debut for Logan Hoffman. He strikes out the side in order. Growing the Game with Ballsy is a podcast dedicated to growing the game of football in Saskatchewan. Each week, Michael Ball will talk with rider guests, but he'll also highlight amateur athletes, coaches, and builders in this province growing the game we love. Now, here's Ballsy. Thanks for checking out Growing the Game with Ballsy into its fourth year. If you like what you hear, please give us a Google review and share the podcast. The goal for me is to put a spotlight on our kids and get them the exposure they deserve. We should be looking to highlight and promote Canadian talent in the game of football and in local sports in general. Because of that, I'm working on a Top 50 Can West YouTube show. Look for that here in the summer at some point. The podcast is coming to you from the Regina Sports Performance Studio. Respect the effort. Join today at reginasports.ca. All our guests come to you on the Hammer Time Roofing Hotline. Hammer Time Roofing is Saskatoon's only certainteed five-star roofing contractor backed by a true manufacturer's warranty. Give them a call, 306-262-ROOF. Thanks to my other sponsors, Mark Greshner Photography. Trust him to capture the big moments in your life, markgreshner.com. Face first medical aesthetics. Beat back father time in a naturally looking way. Second floor above Gabos on Dudney Avenue. Paul Waldo getting the real estate game with the three-time Great Cup champ, 306-502-5355. Doubles at egg sales in Weyburn. For grain hauling, grain marketing, and crop insurance, give Corey a call, 306-842-2406. My buddy John Ryan, punter of your Saskatchewan Rough Riders, only Super Bowl winning player born in Saskatchewan. I want to thank him for getting on board with this podcast and for giving back to Regina Minor Football with the Gear Up with John Ryan Foundation. How about Mirad El-Khatib over at AGT Foods? AGT Food and Ingredients, one of the largest suppliers of value-added pulses, staple foods, and food ingredients in the world. A great Saskatchewan success story. And we also want to mention Advantage Collision in Prince Albert and Saskatoon. Choose Advantage Collision because they care about your safety. Now, normally we talk football on this podcast, but we're going to start growing the game with Ballsy by highlighting an outstanding athlete from Munster, Saskatchewan, a dude that was drafted into Major League Baseball. He's in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. Joins us now on the Hammer Time Roofing Hotline. All right, well, we usually talk football here, but I'm going to deviate to talk to uh, one of Saskatchewan's bright athletic stars. This would be Logan Hoffman from Munster in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. How are you today, Logan? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me this morning. Yeah, thanks for uh, being on with me. So, uh, where do we find you today? Tell the tell the listeners where we find you today. Where are you? Uh, where are you showing off your skills these days? Uh, right now, I'm in Bradenton, Florida, uh, playing with the Bradenton Marauders. It's the Pirate Pirates Low A affiliate team. So, just started our season about uh, a week and a half ago, and it's a lot of fun so far. I've had three appearances out of the bullpen uh, so far. Just kind of working out of the bullpen for now and maybe get a start here. If not, just keep throwing out of the bullpen. Just got to pitch well. Any situation, I get it. It, it was cool. I mean, making my pro debut, it was uh, definitely a cool experience. Um, being from a small town, every kid wants to, I guess, start their journey to the big league. So I guess this is just the first step in getting there. and It should be a good uh, ride along the way. Take some patience, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, some guys make it to the big leagues in two years. Some it takes, I mean, some guys I've heard it takes even 10. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can't, I can't really think of that as I uh, – 
go along with my minor league career, but I just kind of go out there, have fun, and pitch well. So, Logan, how do you deal with the mental side of the game? How do you approach the game as opposed to, you know, you're a starter, you're a bullpen guy. How does that mentality uh, switch? Do you have a different mentality? Uh, I would say, I mean, every time you go out there, you just want to get out no matter what situation you're in. But obviously, um, working out of the bullpen, it's kind of everything happens a little more quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, starter, you have a little more of a plan, uh, more of a routine, that kind of thing. So um, it, it's definitely a little bit of a switch. Um, throwing out of the bullpen compared to a starter, but uh, any situation you get in in the game, it's still it's still the same thing. It's not nothing's changed. Still the same distance from home plate. I mean, yeah, you just got to go out there and and have fun. What what in the bullpen, Logan? What's your what's your role? Are are you like middle relief? Are you uh, would you be like a seventh eighth inning guy, or would you come in and get the save? Like where where are you right now in the rotation? Uh, right now, I mean, I've kind of been working the the seventh, eighth inning, that kind of thing. Um, usually, like, I mean, obviously, we're still pretty early in the season, yeah. but so far I'm throwing, um, if I go out there twice a week, let's say one in, or one outing will be for a couple innings, and then the next one just for one, just kind of keep my innings at a, at a pace. So um, that's kind of the role I'm in right now. Is it tough to keep your mentality that, hey, I'm going to get in the game today, even if maybe you won't? Like, th- that's the thing that I'm uh, interested in. Like, you're in hockey, you're a goalie. If you're the starter, you know you're probably going to play 60, 70 games, so you have your routine and it's locked. Football player, depending on the position, you know you're going to play. Baseball, especially out of the bullpen, you never know if you're going to get in or not. How do you keep that uh, mentality like, I'm going to play? It's almost like being a backup quarterback, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just got to stay locked in throughout the game. I know sometimes in the bullpen, since you're uh, pretty far away from the game, you can get a little sidetracked talking about stuff or whatever. But uh, for the most part, you just got to stay locked in and pay attention to what's going on, watch the other team's hitters, watch your own team's hitters, um, just try and learn everything from the game. And if you get a chance, you get a chance that day. And if not, just carry on to the next. Logan, do you ever get caught like you're talking to your buddies in the pen about something you saw on Instagram or TikTok, and then it's like Hoffman, you're up. Holy shit, gotta find my glove. Do you ever do you ever have that? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that situation, but it's kind of you're having a conversation, and all of a sudden you turn around and look, and it's like, oh, sorry, the seventh inning. I better get do start doing some stretches just in case I need to get in. So it's more that kind of thing, but pretty similar. So you grew up in Munster. Uh, how did you, like Munster, no offense, but it's not exactly the hotbed of baseball. It's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like you're a pipeline for pro baseball players. How did you get turned on to baseball? Did you play other sports? Uh, I would say growing up, um, just usually in Munster, I mean, baseball in the summer, hockey in the winter, that's kind of how it is. And everyone likes to I guess do those two sports for the most part. There's no football in the town or anything. So those are the two main sports everyone plays. And uh, I mean, every night in the summer, you go out to the field in Munster and there's always kids out there playing, practicing baseball. So it's starting to really become, um, I guess, a baseball town. It has been for a while, I'd say, uh, just with the amount of tournaments and everything we host there. So that's, that's kind of how I got into it, is just being around the game a lot and going out to the field every night and just, whether it's practice, game, or just uh, doing different things with my buddies out there, mm. hitting fly balls, ground balls, whatever. So 
that's kind of how I got into it and just stuck with me. When did you de- when did you decide that uh, baseball would be it for you? Like when you thought to yourself, man, I could really do something with this sport. Probably uh, my grade 11 year, I would say. Um, my grade 10 year, I had a pretty good first year in the Midget AAA League in Saskatchewan, and then uh, grade 11 was even a better year. And after my grade 11 year, um, going into the winter, I guess, of my grade 12 year, I decided I'm not going to play hockey anymore and just really focus on baseball for that off season. And then I actually committed to my junior college that I went to um, the fall of my grade 12 year. So I really just wanted to focus on getting bigger and stronger um, and just working hard to show up to my junior college in good shape. And, and that's kind of when I realized, I guess, I could have a college career in baseball. I didn't didn't think for a second at that point I could have a pro career, but I guess that happened throughout the years in college. Yeah, okay, so just tell the folks who don't know, where did you go to JUCO? Where did you where, where did your baseball career go after Munster in high school? Uh, yeah, I went to Colby Community College in Colby, Kansas for two years and then uh, in the spring, I guess fall of 2019, I transferred to Northwestern State University in uh, Natchitoches, Louisiana, and I went there for I guess a year, and then not quite a year, I guess, because mm. COVID yeah. shut us down after 16 games. So I mm. went there for 16 games, and then I got drafted uh, last summer. So that's the college career for yeah. me. Okay, so how did you get no like? But how did you get noticed by uh, like a junior college or or anybody in the states? Like to go from Munster and, and doing well is one thing, but how did you get noticed to get down there? I guess that's what a lot of people would like to know. I actually went to a tournament with Team Saskatchewan in Okotoks, Alberta. It was, I want to say, September, October um, of 2016, actually. So going into my grade 12 year. Actually, I wasn't grade 12 at that point, but uh, it's like a big tournament there they have. And there's a lot of schools that come up from the States to watch and recruit kids out of there. So that's where my junior college saw me at. And I only had two offers. It was there or another junior college in Iowa. So I went and visited both places and ended up picking Colby. So that's kind of how it worked. All right. So let's get to some pitches here. What are your your best pitches, man? And uh, do you have quite an arsenal? Uh, yeah, there are four pitches, fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. I guess the kind of the usual for, for most starters nowadays, but uh, I've thrown four pitches, I guess, for a while now. I kind of just added the slider about a year and a half ago, so it's a little newer to me in terms of the other ones, but yeah, those are the four pitches I throw. 3-2, bases loaded, bottom of the ninth. you got to throw one pitch to get the guy out. What are you throwing? Oh, I think I got to go fastball up in the zone. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where we've been getting a lot of swings and misses lately. So I gotta stick with it. What can you uh, What can you hit the gun at right now? Lately, I've been usually sitting like ninety one to ninety four miles an hour. I think the hardest I've ever touched is ninety five. So okay. I don't know if I can consistently hit that. We'll see. But yeah. So, so you talked about working out. What's important to you for your workout? Like, what does a workout routine look like for you? Is it uh, a lot of weights? Is it more stretching, more band work? What is it for you? I would say all those things, honestly. Um, in the off season, it's more, I guess, volume, and I probably go four or five days a week, um, just kind of building that strength while throwing still, because I don't want to work out and not throwing and my muscles aren't used to it and then I start throwing and that's how injuries can happen so just 
still continue throwing. And then during the season, kind of add that two workouts a week just because um, it's a long year. I want my body to be healthy for the year. So um, two, two during the week, and that's more a lot of, like, explosive stuff. So, like, a lot of box jumps, um, a lot of hip, ankle mobility, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, slide drag. So it's a lot of a lot of band and uh, explosive stuff compared to the off seasons. A little more weightlifting, I guess, but with that other stuff mixed in. Okay, so you got drafted, and then you make your pro debut. We we talked about that. Who are you thinking about? Maybe not at that time on the mound. You're thinking about the game, but who are you thinking about that helped you get to that point? And what's that like? You got to pinch yourself. I go from the mean streets of Munster, from the ball diamonds at Munster, to being a professional baseball player. Who are you thinking about at that time? I would say definitely just my family at that point because, I mean, my dad coached me for 13 years growing up in baseball and hockey, so he's... He's seen me, uh, I guess, play for a while now, and I know he's watching all the time. And obviously, um, my mom didn't coach me, but they they both drove me to many events, paid for tons of things. So I know they're definitely watching um, a lot. And just, I guess, coaches I've had throughout the years as well. You just said Munster is uh, kind of uh, the baseball scene's picking up there now. Do you look at yourself as kind of a role model for those younger kids, the the little Logan Hoffmans that are coming up now in Munster like you used to do? Uh, I would say so. I mean, I wouldn't say the little Logan Hoffman's. They're all probably bigger than me already. But <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, there's a lot of talent in, in Munster, that's for sure. Uh, I know there's a lot of young kids in the town that uh, I, I even helped coach in the off season. did some pitching stuff with them. So they're definitely um, interested in learning, and it's great to see. You got a piece of advice for anybody, any young athlete, not just a baseball player, but young athlete listening to this? I would say just continue to work hard and i mean if somebody tells you to change something take it anywhere you want good bad whatever but uh i would say the most two most important things out there are your attitude while you're um working out on the field off the field whatever and the effort you put in so those are the two things um that i focus on a lot and i even got a shirt from my junior college uh that's kind of how i found that saying I guess is attitude and effort and it's stuck with me ever since who's your dream batter to face if you ever made it to the majors right now let's say they called you up today to the pirates okay who would you like to pitch against which which batter would you like to go against Uh, I'd say that's an easy question you want to face the best hitters in the league so I definitely want to face Mike Trout Mike Trout that's good what do you think of Tatis I love Tatis I'm a Padres guy (laughs) yeah he's pretty good too I mean uh Probably one of the best young players in the game, so that would also be another fun one. Yeah, Mike Trout's good. If he played in New York, he'd have all the pomp and pageantry, but I think he just likes it. <laughs> I think he likes it quite fine out there on the West Coast. Okay, and last uh, question for you, Logan Hoffman of Munster. If you could sit down with any pitcher, present or past, who would you like to sit down with, have lunch, and pick their brain? Oh, that's a tough question. Jeez. <laughs> um, I would probably say... Greg Maddox is one of them just because he's another shorter pitcher like me. And I just, I know he's obviously one of the best pitchers of all time. So I think it'd be cool just to pick his brain, um, learn about how he attacked hitters, that kind of thing. And just, learn all, all about the game from him. Hey, you know what? I just had one more pop into me because you brought that up. How how tall like how tall are you? Uh <laughs> on the roster I'm five ten, but I am not quite that. We'll, we'll say I rounded up about an inch or two. Okay, so so let's <laughs> 
<laughs> That's funny. I love it. I love your honesty. So, but let me ask you this yeah. question then. What what advantages are there to being a shorter pitcher? Are there any advantages? Uh, yeah, actually, I'd say there there is. Um, I know, like, baseball nowadays, there's a lot of, like, data and analytics stuff. And um, for me, actually, being a shorter pitcher, I'm throwing a four-seam up in the zone. It, and my release points, I guess, it almost seems like the ball is kind of rising so i guess that's one of the advantages of being being a shorter guy and um having a i guess not a lower arm slot but just getting the the ride on the ball i guess so it kind of creates that illusion to hitters that it seems like it's almost on a straight line or kind of going up out of the hand conversely lastly logan what is something that you have to overcome by being short like do you have to if you're facing a really tall batter is there something you have to do that uh that i say let's i don't want to say normal size guy because i'm your size i would like to think we're more normal but okay (laughs) but like a like say say like there's a six foot two pitcher on the mound you're five nine five eight do you have to do something a little different when you face a taller batter to kind of compensate for being shorter Uh I wouldn't say when you face batters. I would say more, I guess, kind of got to pass the eye test when people see you out there. Uh-huh. Um, I know everybody likes the big, tall, six-four pitchers, but, I mean, you're out there, you're doing the thing they are, so just got to go out there and get out and then have fun and show emotion, so... That's kind of how I look at it. Logan, thanks for this, man. I really appreciate it. It's great to see a a young Saskatchewan guy from rural Saskatchewan kicking some ass. Good luck there in Florida with the Marauders, and uh, hope one day to see you up in the big leagues, buddy. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for doing this. It's time for the gospel according to Ballsy. Two of the more pathetic franchises in NFL history are the Bengals and the Chargers. Both teams have cheap and mostly clueless ownership. The Bungles' Mike Brown holds onto his wallet when attempting to bring in or keep players around. Dean Spanos of the Chargers' big claim to fame is, well, nothing. He got the team from his dad and all he did was move it to LA from San Diego where nobody wants him and where he rents a new stadium from Rams owner Stan Kroenke. In fact, the CFL's Argos and the NFL's Chargers will be the only teams not to notice a difference in attendance on the other side of this pandemic. But the Chargers have seemed to figure out what since he can't. If you're going to win, you gotta protect your quarterback because it's tough to throw the ball lying on your back. Last year, Bengals stud quarterback Joe Burrow lasted 10 games before before blowing his knee out, playing behind an offensive line made out of paper mache. So what did the Bengals do in the first round of the NFL draft with great offensive linemen still on the board? Of course, they do what the Bengals do best. Screw it up. They take a wide receiver. That's like putting a new paint job on your sports car, but the car doesn't have a motor. Like Burrow, the Chargers have a great quarterback in Justin Herbert. Now, admittedly, the Bolts were prepared to play Tyrod Taylor all year last year until their wacky doctor punctured Taylor's lung with an injection. And like Burrow, Herbert played behind a Charmin-like offensive line. But Justin didn't just survive, he thrived, winning the AFC Offensive Rookie of the Year while smashing many rookie passing records. Unlike the Bengals, the Chargers signed three quality offensive linemen in free agency and drafted two more good ones, including a guy many predict will be an all-pro in Northwestern's Rashawn Slater. It's going to be interesting to see which approach works. There's no one way to build a winning franchise. It will be fascinating, though, to follow both of them. And if you force me to pick one, I'd say the Chargers are taking the better approach, but I'd never bet money. Because let's face it, both teams will probably screw it up. You know... It is the Bungles and the Dolts.
The Gospel According to Ballsy is brought to you by Advantage Collision in Saskatoon and Prince Albert. Choose Advantage Collision because they care about your safety. And let's stay on the Hammer Time Roofing Hotline. Check them out in Saskatoon 262 Roof. And it's time now for our Where Are They Now segment for Doubles at Ag Sales in Weyburn. For Grain Hauling, Grain Marketing, and Crop Insurance, give Corey Zadorozniak a call out there in the Weyburn area, Double Z Ag Sales. And we are going to hear now in the Where Are They Now segment from former Saskatchewan Rough Rider running back number 28, Kenton Keith. Dude was electrifying on the field and brought controversy with himself off the field. How are you today, Kenton? How are you guys doing today? I'm doing fine. Awesome, man. So what brought you to Saskatchewan? Let's rewind your career. How did you end up here in Rider Nation? I ended up in Saskatchewan uh, after I actually withdraw from college, man, and kind of got discouraged because I didn't get drafted uh, for the, the NFL. And uh, I had a shoulder surgery at the end of my uh, college season, which kind of kept me out of some of the pickings, which I didn't expect, but I needed the surgery pretty bad. So after I didn't get drafted, man, I, I withdrew uh, from school and went home, took some time off, started working, and uh, I had a Saskatchewan Rough Rider contract on my table one day when I woke up, and I never knew anything about the CFL before. So I just looked at it. I didn't really know what it was because at that time, and even still now, to this day, I really don't watch a whole lot of football, so I didn't know nothing about the CFL or anyone that knew anything about it. So I ended up ripping my contract up and going back to work and had a bad day at work. Came back home, searched through the trash can, and signed my contract and left like a week later. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> Kenton, what were your initial thoughts of Saskatchewan and the Canadian Football League? Um, my initial thoughts of Saskatchewan was that it, you know, it looked real – it looked like I, like I told the other guy yesterday. It looked like I walked back into the past a couple of years from where, where I came from. You know, all the, all the cars were older. A lot of the buildings were older. You know, it was just a little bit more older looking when I got there. So I was like, man, where am I at? What is going on here? But after a while, I started getting used to it, and I liked it. You know, I started liking the fact that it was real. It was a lot slower than what I was used to, so it was easy for me to kind of stay focused on what I was supposed to be focused on, which was football. And once I started uh, doing that, I realized how big the city was about their football. So, And that's what I fell in love with is, like, you play for a team, but you really playing for the whole entire city because everybody's all about their riders. So yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, right, uh, the city of Regina and actually the province of Saskatchewan, they drive a long way to, to watch the games. Did you did you get an appreciation of that when you played here? I know a lot of fans come up to you and you probably didn't know where some of these places were, but they say, I'm coming from Saskatoon or I'm coming from PA. I'm driving four hours. I'm driving six hours. Some people drive all the way from Edmonton and Calgary to come watch games, which is eight hours away. Did you have an appreciation of that when you played? Oh, yeah, definitely on the road games, man. We would always say, you know, sometimes our road games were like home games, which gave us a, a good advantage sometimes. and it, it made us feel like home, and it made our made the momentum swings a lot more. Because sometimes, you know, especially in Vancouver, the the, the uh, stadium can get so loud that it's hard for you to kind of think and, and, and remember your plays or, or just kind of stay focused on the task at hand. But when you got – just as many riders in the stands yelling, go riders, go riders, you forget that you are that you at an away game, so it makes it a little bit easier for you to adapt to what's going on. So, yeah, yeah man, uh, that's a great situation. I guess I should have started by asking you, where are you now, Kitten? What are you doing? I'm in Austin, Texas. 
Uh, me and my family, me and my wife, my uh, three sons, we out here living in Austin, Texas, man, and just doing business, running business, and pretty much just being parents, man. You know, I'm at that age now where I got to pass the baton, so now I'm trying to make sure that my kids are get, getting well-prepared for sports and well-prepared for football because they love it. So I'm like a coach dad full-time right now and husband. Your older kids, are they running backs like their dad? Yeah, my oldest doesn't play football. He's more of a um, – he likes to do like acting and singing and you know stuff like that. My other, he's he's the other side of Ken Keith. You know the front line, yeah, <laughs> the music stuff. So, but my my second son, uh, Caprice, uh, he was born in Saskatchewan. He's my he's my little protege. So he's all about football, man. He's a football head for sure. What did you like about the Canadian Football League? Our game. What did you like about it? How did it suit you? Well, for me, I remember when I first came up there, everybody was like, yeah, this is a pass-first league, and this is a pass-dominant league. And I was just looking at the field. I was like, how is that possible? There's so much room. Like, there's so much space. And I was always one of those backs that felt like if I had a little bit more room for if I just had, like, two or three people in front of me trying to tackle me, I still felt like I was going to be able to break. So once I realized that the field was 65 yards wide, I knew that there was a lot of space and opportunity for vertical moves for running backs, and I just wanted to just try to establish a run, a run dominance for uh, for my team, and also show the coaches that this is a great league to be able to run the ball. I mean, the, the defensive line is already a yard off the ball. I mean, what else could a running back ask for? Yeah, no kidding. You almost had 1,200 yards rushing in 14 games in 2004. Do you have any uh, fond memories specifically about that year? Because that was the year you guys went to the, the West Final and unfortunately lost on that missed field goal by Paul McCallum from 18 yards. But uh, you were playing like your hair was on fire that year. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a great year for me. I think felt like I could have did a lot better due to some of the injuries that I had um, early on in the season. But that year was just pretty much a statement year for me. I knew that um, I was going to test my test the um, NFL in the next year or so after that. So I just wanted to make sure that I was proven. Um, by the time that I got to that point, we had a task in the team and individuals on the, you know, as, as individuals on the team to do what we told each other that we were going to do. So there were big incentives for me um, to – you know, score two or three touchdowns, get four or five first downs. Like, I was fighting for a lot of different things. And there was, like, little battles that I was fighting within those games uh, to try to hit certain goals that I set for myself. So what that did was just made me um, not accept being mediocre in any game. So, and it was a lot of pressure, you know, especially at that time. You know, we weren't the, the greatest team, but we weren't bad either. It was, a, it was like we were trying to get over the hump. But to get over the hump, I felt like each one of us needed to play to the best of our ability. So that's, mm-hmm. what we, that's what we did. We set incentives for ourselves to make sure that we're playing to the top of our capability. Hey, where did that 2004 loss to the BC Lions rank in terms of heartbreaking losses in your career? Because you guys were on fire. I thought for sure the way Burris was throwing the ball, like I said, you were playing great that game, and Paul McCallum was Mr. Automatic. Where does that one rank in terms of heartbreaking losses for Kent and Keith? Now, that, let, me, let me rewind back. That's the year that Paul was playing with us, right? Yeah, that's right, with you, and he missed that 18-yard field goal. So that hurt, but I think the next year hurt even worse because he was playing for them and kicked the field goal to win the game. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that that is a good point. That and it and it hurts probably doubly worse because he missed a chip shot one for you guys in 04 and then beat you in 2005. So I I get where you're coming from. Now I'm going to ask you this. You're an American guy, so obviously the NFL was always a goal of yours. So you you might have an easy answer to this, but looking back now, hindsight being 2020, you went to the NFL and you had you had a you had a decent run there with the Indianapolis Colts, a little bit with the Jets there. But do you wish you would have stayed here and been a big star here because you were definitely on your way to to being kind of a big star here and a big deal in a you know a big fish in a small pond? Or or are you happy with what you did and went to the NFL? That's a tricky question, man. Because as far as like my personal goals, that's the reason um, that I left because I knew I was always good enough to play in the NFL, whether it was a um, long term, short term, whatever the case may be. I knew once I planted my feet in the NFL that I was going to be able to showcase my talent and not not have to sit. Um, you know, a lot of guys go to the NFL, but they don't get to play much. So I was fortunate to actually play every game and actually get reps and get a lot of carries and touches. But I wasn't fortunate to get a lot of years. Now, some guys get a lot of years and they never get in. So just me being an American ball player, an American person, for me to touch the NFL soil was a, was a big accomplishment in myself and the relationships that I built at the, uh, at the Indianapolis Colts. And being in the NFL, those relationships that I built are lifetime ongoing relationships and friendships that I have with people. So I wouldn't say that I regret it or that I would, you know, do not go, but I also look at the other side. Like I was, I missed the Grey Cup <laughs> the next year when I left. I didn't get that ring. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis, Indianapolis got their ring when I was on my way there. I was actually signed, so I was sitting in between two rings, and I didn't get either one of them. So, yeah. just by thinking about that, I almost you know that's the only thing that I really didn't get my whole career was a championship. So, with that being said, yeah, I probably would have stayed in Saskatchewan one more year, if not two. Just to go ahead and ride the uh, ride the plan out with the Saskatchewan because I feel like the recruiting that Danny Barrett and Roy Shivers did and uh, uh, the building that we did for those three or four years that I was there, that next year when they got fired and I left, I feel like we all felt like that was going to be our great cup year anyway. Yeah, it was almost a, a team that won the Grey Cup with uh, a lot of what Roy Shivers had built, no doubt about that. And then Ken Austin came in for sure. I saw on social media you're you're hoping to retire as a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. Just talk about the importance of that to you, Kent and Keith. It's more important to me than I than I actually show. But I don't want it like you know I don't want to cause a big situation with this. You know I don't want I don't want um, Saskatchewan to feel pressure in no kind of way. This was a personal conversation that me and Jeremy O'Day had a long time ago. Um, between each other when he told me that I wasn't eligible. And even at the time, I didn't know the rules. I was pretty shocked that I, that he told me that. I didn't know what the rules were of um, retiring. But it kind of hurt me because, you know, like I said, I, I'm, that's where that's, Saskatchewan is the place that gave me my start and it gave me my boost in my career and it gave, it, it, it gave me a, a platform to be able to showcase my talent. And even before I even met my wife and, you know, started my family up there, I just felt like that, you know, I'm, I'm a loyal I'm a loyal guy. So when it comes to, like, my team, my coaches, my players, that's really all I think about. So when I think about Saskatchewan and those times that I was up there, I just felt like I was a part of a bigger situation. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I feel like that situation doesn't make me a part of them sometimes. And it, I feel like it's because of, some of the things that we were going through as Rough Riders up there 
time that I feel like once we left or once I left, so much things, so many things have changed between the way that people treated the Rough Riders versus how they treated us back then. Yeah, I'm not gonna go into too many details, but it was more, it was they were more accepted of us. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. even with that, even with that, I, that's the way I wanted it to be when I was there, and that's the way that I felt like it should have been. So. I gave everything to my, that I had to Saskatchewan. I gave my heart. I played with my heart and blood on my shoulders, everything. I gave everything that I had every play. And and I just wanted that in return. So, Like I said earlier in the interview, you played like your hair was on fire. You definitely were a joy to watch. And who knows how great you could have been in terms of uh, your career stats had you stayed longer, but you made the decision to go to the uh, National Football League. And I don't think anybody would... Uh, would uh, Look down on you for doing that because obviously you're an American kid. But I'm going to ask you this question, okay? You can answer it however you want. I, I'm hearing that they, they they basically told you that you didn't play here long enough. Is that true? Is that one of the stipulations? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let me yeah. ask. Let me ask you this, Canton. Okay. You seem like you're you're more mature now. Everybody matures as they get get older, right? Do you? Yeah. Do, were you? Do you think a little bit of immaturity off the field? could hurt you when it comes to retiring here because you've definitely evolved but do you think you're a little you had maybe a couple of off-field things that maybe work against you or am i or, or am i way off base with that i have i, I had a lot of off the field um conversation mm-hmm. i could say that um a lot of the things that were being conversated about i wasn't involved in so but that doesn't mean that my name wasn't being put in places where it can you know yeah. in bad negative places so I could have spent a lot of time trying to, you know, trying to prove to the fans and prove to people those situations, but I did that in the off. And you know, and when you when you do certain things and 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 you speak to like the general manager about a certain situations, like every every little incident that ever popped up about me, I've had to come to the office to speak about it because either I had to prove that it wasn't me or that it was something something that was mishandled or something like that. But that situation never gets to the public that oh that wasn't King Keith. It still just sits out there. You see what I'm saying? Right. So yeah. A lot of these, a lot, a lot of these things, you know, I have nothing to do with. So when you speak on off the field situations, the only thing that I could judge for my off the field situation was when I got into a bar fight um, um, a long time ago, and I ended up going to jail. But even in that situation, if I had to do it again, I would do the exact same thing because people don't understand. Like we were. As Rough Riders at that time, and I'm just speaking on that time, and I don't want this to go too far. Yeah. We, we were dealing with a lot of different things. You know, there was a lot of racial slurs yelled at us. We weren't allowed in certain places because of who we were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a, you know, there was a big community of bodybuilders out there that didn't like us that we would always get into. Yeah. Get into it with. And sometimes, you know, that wasn't egg going by us. You know, sometimes we just try to go out and have fun. We'll get called N-words and all kind of different things, man. Which, which, and some of us are coming from places where where that stuff goes on and, and you have to defend yourself or and you still, you're still dealing with a whole bunch of young kids. I mean, yeah, we're playing football, but at the same time, we're only 20, 21, 22. Right. So we had a lot of mistakes to make in life anyway. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, some of that stuff could have, had to happen up there. But like I said, man, if I was put in the same situation um, – now that I was back then, I would still do the same thing because people don't understand that I had to I had to defend someone. I had to help someone out of a situation where they could have probably been killed. People maybe misunderstood Kenton Keith. They didn't get the full picture of Kenton Keith. Would I be safe to say saying it that way? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. Hey, man, you were, you were deaf. There's no denying this. You're one of the most electrifying guys in Rider Nation and in Rough Rider history. And uh, you know what? I hope if it works out in your favor, you get your just due because uh, you definitely uh, you definitely had made the turnstiles uh, turn because people came to watch guys like you back in the day when the Riders were rebuilding and building towards that 2007 championship. Thanks for this, Kenton. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. Anytime you want to have me on, just give me a shout. This has been Growing the Game with Ballsy. If you have a football story you'd like to share to help us grow the game, email Michael Ball at mball at harvardbroadcasting.com. Ballsy can be heard weekdays in Regina on 104.9 The Wolf Morning Show and during Saskatchewan Rough Riders and U of R Rams broadcasts on 620 CKRM.